Would you join me for a short reading in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And in verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. We read this passage of scripture last week. We want to read it again this week as we think about the Lord Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, and we just want to be reminded that about 700 years prior to the birth of Emmanuel, God moved on this prophet to write the words that we have before us. 700 years. Only God has the capabilities of having something said 700 years prior to the event and actually having it carried out exactly like the prophet said it would happen. Only God can do that. In the book of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the scripture says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a Hebrew word. It is just simply transliterated here in this passage of Scripture. If it had been translated, it would say, God with us. But it is a Hebrew word that has just been brought from Hebrew into the English. And when we get over to our next reading in the book of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, would you join me there in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23? In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we have these words recorded, and we heard them read this morning in their context. But it tells us here, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, Behold, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures, the prophet Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. This Emmanuel, in this passage of scripture, again, has been transliterated. It would have been translated, if it had been translated, God with us. I appreciate them leaving it in its original sense, and then giving us the interpretation for it. As we mentioned, Isaiah was given about 700 years before the fulfillment found here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. And if we go through the Old Testament very much, we will find out that the Lord visited folks in the Old Testament many times. He visited with Adam in the garden, and he visited with Noah and Abraham and Moses and Joshua and David and Solomon. He came to these people in personages, but he never came like he came at this time. The prophets had him come to them, and yet never visited like this visit when he came born of a virgin and was laid in a manger. Think with me on these things for just a moment. Who but God could have fulfilled these scriptures as they were fulfilled? that a virgin should conceive and that the virgin should bring forth a son and only by the rich power she remained after the birth 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, she remained a virgin. I am taken away by that. How God could perform such a work, such a ministry, and fulfill His word. Without human means, this virgin conceived, and when she brought forth her son, she still remained the same. When we look at Emmanuel, when we look at God with us, we find that he arrived exactly at the right place. The Old Testament said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's exactly where he was born. We find that God uses extraordinary means, often in the scriptures, to get his purpose fulfilled. What was the extraordinary means that he used to have the Lord Jesus born in Bethlehem, as it was written according to the scriptures? He moved on a pagan Caesar, a pagan king, many thousands of miles away, and the message finally got to Judea at the proper time so that Joseph and Mary could travel down to Bethlehem and be there at the right time. All of those things working out for the glory of the Lord. We find that God used men like Pharaoh. He used men like Nebuchadnezzar. He used men like Cyrus and Artaxerxes and even Caesar Augustus. And then later, he was going to use a man like Pilate. Every king and every queen, every ruler is a pawn in the hands of the Lord Jesus. But we find that he treats his people much differently because he calls them kings and priests of the Most High God. That's Emmanuel working in us and with us. This part of God's grand and wonderful and infinitely important design of redemption was once again brought to fruition. Do you know it tells us in the book of Exodus chapter 13? Would you join me over there in the book of Exodus chapter 13 for just a moment? As we read here in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus chapter 13, verse 2. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 2. The gospel message is everywhere we go. For in fact, as we've mentioned many times, that Moses, when the Lord Jesus was speaking to a group of people, says, Moses wrote of me. And that's throughout all of those books of Moses. And here in the book of Exodus chapter 13, and there in verse 2 it says, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, is mine. This is a gospel message about the Lord Jesus Christ coming. This is a statement from the Old Testament of the preaching of Christ to these people, that there is going to be one coming. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us, and he is going to be the one that will truly be the one, as it says here, openeth the womb among the children of Israel. He is mine. And everyone that is born of him is mine. The Lord Jesus shares with us that every birth of the firstborn, Christ was preached to people. When they had their first child born, the preaching of Christ was made to them. As they went out into the field, and a ewe had her first lamb. As they went out into the field, and the heifer had her first calf. As they went out into the field, and the donkey had her first 
baby. All of these were a representation that God Almighty was preaching the gospel to these people that Jesus Christ would come and eventually open the womb of this virgin and he would have in him salvation in his wings. He would have salvation declared through and by him and by all those that he called to preach the gospel about. Every birth was a first of the firstborn was Christ being preached. And in his case, he and he alone is the first to open the womb. It was Christ and Christ only whom Jehovah spoke in all the scriptures. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew for just a short reading? In the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, we heard this read, but I want to mention just a couple of things as we look at this again in Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, we find that it was the grace of God that moved very mysteriously, but for his glory, upon a man who had an idea to do something that felt right for him at the moment. Joseph. It felt right for him at the moment to put his engaged wife away. He had every right to call the judges together. It felt right for him to put her away because she was with child before they're married. And yet it was the grace of God. The instructions were given and by God's grace, these instructions were followed. It tells us a lot about this man being able to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit of God and come to the same conclusions that God had that this is a very special time. Joseph was a man subject to like passions as we are. Joseph was a man. Joseph was the engaged husband of Mary. It was very embarrassing to him to take upon this wife that was with child. And yet God moved upon him and by the grace of God, he could see that this one was the great I am and this was on his purpose. In verse 18, it says the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And then it tells us in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Those words are very important when we look at anybody found in the scriptures. He was a just man. What does that mean? He's justified. What does that mean? He's been born again. What does that mean? God the Holy Spirit has come upon him after he heard the gospel of the free and sovereign grace of God in Christ Jesus the Savior. There's a man very shortly going to raise the Son of God up in an infant stage and declare, this is my salvation. Those folks knew this. And Joseph was a just man. He was justified. God had worked the work of grace in him. And that is why God could speak to him and he could understand the word of God and say, I will do as God says. Even as Mary said, nevertheless, thy will be done. He goes on. The Holy Spirit came to him, spoke to him. God moved upon him to say, go ahead. But there's two qualifications I have here, Joseph. Number one, you're going to name his name Jesus. And the reason you're going to name him the name Jesus is he's going to be a savior and he's going to save his people from their sins. And the next is, you are going to name his name Jesus and that's exactly what he did when we read that last passage of scripture, last verse in that. And he called his name Jesus. What grace God 
poured out upon this man, Joseph. We know not much about him except he's a son of David. He's in the lineage and house of David. That's why he went down to Bethlehem to line up and sign up for paying taxes to the Roman government. He is a just man, though, that takes away all the irregularities that we might ever find in him. He was a just man before God, and that's what takes out the irregularities between you and I and any believer. We're able to look beyond the flesh and see the work of God, and we're able to hear him say, Be kind one to another. Well, as we look here, Jesus himself declared that he was, that Moses wrote of him, and it continues on. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Luke, chapter 2. As we look at this great subject of the Lord Jesus being called Emmanuel, and what that bears to us. In the book of Luke, we have in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. In this account of the birth of the Lord Jesus, there are two gospels that do not bring up the subject of the birth of the Lord. Matthew and Luke do. Mark doesn't. Mark starts out very late in really in the life of the Lord Jesus because in the book of Mark, Jesus is spoken of more as a servant. He is God's servant. And he's the servant to the church. And in the book of John, he's spoken of as the almighty king. So we don't have to bring up the subject of a birth there. We go back to eternity. In the beginning was God, in in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That settles it. But we're thankful for what the Holy Spirit gives us in the book of Matthew and in the book of Luke on how God delivered that Word to us in the person Christ Jesus the Lord, Emmanuel. Luke chapter 2, verse 21, And when eight days were accomplished, For the circumcising of the child, his name was called, and I think probably all of us have great big letters right there where it says capital, big letters, call his name Jesus. Now that name is the same as Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua is Hebrew, Jesus is Greek, or uh, yes, Greek, and we find here that they mean the same thing. Joshua was a picture of the Savior, and Jesus Christ is the Savior. Joshua pictured going into the promised land, going into the glory, and Jesus takes his people to glory. Well, let's go on here, and it says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, and when eight days were accomplished, he did exactly what was required. His parents did exactly what was required by the law. He came in the fullness of time, made under the law. There's one person and one person alone that every breath they ever took from before they were in the womb until he was received back to glory, he continued with every breath he ever took to obey the law of God. There was not one second he deviated from that. He kept it, and his parents were led to keep this part on his behalf. This was required in the Old Testament that he be circumcised the eighth day. 
His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem, present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now the Lord Jesus goes a step further and lets us see a little bit about this holiness in the book of John chapter 17 and verse 19. The book of Genesis, excuse me, the book of John chapter 17 and there in verse 19 we have the Lord speaking about himself when he is speaking and praying for the church. He's praying for those just like his stepfather, those who are just. Just Joseph, just Lot, just Mary. Not sing, setting it apart that way. Did you know that Mary needed the same salvation that Joseph needed? She was a chosen vessel, that is correct. But she was chosen in God, in Christ Jesus, before the foundation of the world for this very special thing, and that is salvation. She recognized that what she brought forth was an answer to all the scriptures, but she needed the Savior just like her husband needed the Savior, and her other children were going to need a Savior, and as her parents needed a Savior, and her grandchildren were going to need a Savior, it must be this Savior. And here in the book of John chapter 17 and verse 19, for their sakes I sanctify myself. You know, when God purposed this word before the world was ever created, before Adam and Eve were ever placed in the Garden of Eden, when he purposed the words that would be put down in the scriptures, he declared that they, he would be a representation of the Godhead bodily among us and that he would be sanctified and that he would be holy. And there throughout the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy when the instructions were given that everyone that was born first would be holy unto the Lord, be sanctified unto him. He is, he's preaching throughout all the Old Testament about this actual time when Jesus declares, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. God foreseeing, God purposing, God seeing, all these things carried him out to the very end. You know, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Just look here in John chapter 1 and verse 14 for a moment. As we think about Emmanuel, Emmanuel, in Luke, or excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 14. We have this statement made about the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now it's a mystery, but it's a good mystery. How God could perform this. It's a mystery. It's beyond our ability to grasp it completely. I've had a number of people tell me that it's an impossibility for Mary 
to bear a son without a man. And I said, humanly speaking, it is. But we're speaking about something far greater than that. And that is the power of Almighty God. He made a promise in the covenant of grace that this son that would come, this savior that would come, would not have the taint of sin that every other man has. You know, there are many people in throughout the Old Testament that represented God as a mediator. They had a problem, though. And we need a mediator. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But they had a problem. They couldn't be a complete mediator because on one side of their head, they're already predisposed to being a sinner. And on the other side of the head, they're already predisposed to not looking to God as a mediator. We're made that way. We're born into this world that way. We're already predisposed in those directions. So we find that all the mediatorship that Moses could have, he had a problem. uh, That Aaron could have, he had a problem. All of the kings and priests throughout the Old Testament, they had a problem. So we need someone much better than that. We need someone from the realms of glory to take care of the problem. John chapter 1 verse 14 it says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and the writer here is permitted by the grace of God to put some words in here about his take on it. He says, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. God said that when he told, a, uh, told Isaiah to write there in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. You're going to write down here. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And we get over to the book of Matthew and that verse is fulfilled and brought up to our attention and the interpretation of that name for us is God with us. And we get down to the scriptures we find that God sent his son as the word, holy word, the word that's mentioned in John chapter 1 and verse 1. This word, this perfect, holy Word of God, the Son of God, the one that was in the covenant of grace, the one who had promised in himself to become the ransom for his people, the one that understood the sin problem, the one that understood our problem, the one that understood the need to have a, a true mediator, someone who could take God's case honestly, but also take our case honestly. Not be divided between the two, but having the interest of both. This one, the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me over to the book of of, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have some words with regard to the purpose of Emmanuel coming. The purpose that he came to this one. This one, Emmanuel, is the only one that could actually represent both God and man 100%. We might think that Moses could represent God 100%, but he couldn't. And we might think that Moses could represent man 100%, but he couldn't do that either. 
there was a problem on both sides. And so we need a mediator, someone that would go on the benefit of human beings and on the benefit of God and be 100% committed. I don't know about you, but I've been in a courtroom as someone who is trying to collect something. I had a problem. I wish my lawyer, I heard that this morning, it's the lawyer's problem. I wish my lawyer had represented me better. Well, the church's lawyer represents them 100%. Because that lawyer is Emmanuel. God with us. So look with me here in the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5. The scripture says here, For there is one God. No question about it. That's how he represented himself throughout all of the Old Testament. It was this God that created the heavens and the earth. And it is this God that gives salvation to all of his people. One God. And then he goes on to tell us, as the Apostle Paul is led by inspiration by the Holy Spirit to write this, and one mediator. Now we could go out through the Old Testament and find many mediators. People who spoke to God on the behalf of men. Many of the prophets did that very thing. Moses did that. Aaron did that. Many Old Testament people spoke to God on the behalf of men. Pled the case. But they couldn't do what this one could do. And that is, he was tempted in all ways. We are tempted yet without sin. I haven't been able to get around that because I'm caught in a trap. I'm in a time zone. I'm in the the twilight zone where I just can't get out of thinking without sin. But I trust the word of God and it says here that this one The Emmanuel, God with us. This man that God sent. This God that was put in a human body. A body thou hast prepared me. This one could go through life and not have to deal with that. There is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. One mediator. He's the only one that God accepts the mediatorial office of because he is not turned by sin and he's not turned by repulsion for God. By nature, we are repulsed when we think of the Almighty God. So we have this mediator. Many came along, prophets and priests, kings, yet fell far short of doing. All they could do is picture They could only typify a true mediator, the God-man. This is the only Emmanuel that has ever been on the face of the earth. This is the only God-man. This is the only one that God came in bodily form, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I ask myself sometimes why God came in the flesh. You know, to most 
to me when I was growing up, it was from Christmas to Christmas and Easter to Easter. <laughs> he came as a baby and he kind of stayed that way. And then at Easter, he grew up all of a sudden and, and he went to a cross. And it was just kind of a uh, fairy tale. Didn't have much meaning to it. But in salvation, it has so much importance to have a mediator that is accepted with God because this mediator came for a purpose. God with us in the flesh. Would you turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 2? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. The birth of Jesus was on this wise. Caesar Augustus made a decree. They sent him down to Bethlehem, brought forth her firstborn son. Call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. We'll call him Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And Hebrews chapter 2, and there in verse 6, but one in a certain place testified this, What is man that thou art mindful of him? For the son of man that thou visitest him. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor. And didst set him over the works of thy hands. You made him, we may, as it goes on to say here, Thou hast put all things in, in subjection under his feet. For that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him, but now we see not all things put under him. No, we have a frailty. I think about the events that are going on in our world, I have a frailty. Uh, God, do you really have this under control? And we think that, but you know what? God said, I do. I have all things. Under, I am superior to all events. I'm superior to all men and all women. I am absolutely in control of this. This one made a little lower than the angels. What does it say here? But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death. That's why he came. The Lord Jesus came. He performed a lot of miracles. He taught his disciples. He spent hours in prayer. He wept over Jerusalem. He went down there, as we heard this morning, uh, as a, his face was as a flint to go to Jerusalem. He came on purpose. Nobody was going to deter him from going. Even his disciples said, no, not so, Lord. And he said, get thee behind me, adversary, because I must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the priests and the Pharisees. And here we have the record given unto us here in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. And it says that he came for the suffering of death 
that he, by the grace of God, God's very grace that he would do this, that he, the Son of God, the perfect man, would be tasting death for all the church. So when we go back to that baby in a manger, we say, thank you for coming, because you have a work to do that's far beyond our reach. And then as we follow his life out, we find that he accomplished that which he promised to do, and he put to death sin, and he tasted death. This verse of Scripture says for every man, but if we go on just a little further, we find that was for his children. Every man, woman, boy, and girl that would be his children, those are the ones he tasted death for. He was made a little lower than the angels. In, in his state of humiliation, I don't know what I would do if I was king of some place and they came and disposed me and made me to be a slave. That would be humiliation. But I cannot grip the humiliation that the Lord Jesus went through to give up the glory that he had with the Father before the world was and take upon himself the form of a man for the suffering of death that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for me. Philippians chapter 2. Would you go there with me? Philippians chapter 2. We find these words recorded as once again the Apostle Paul was led by the Holy Spirit to write these wonderful words that we take great solace in, comfort in. Chapter 2 and verse 8 of the book of Philippians. Chapter 2 and verse 8. And being found in, a, in fashion as a man. He wasn't the normal man. He wasn't born like normal men and women are. He didn't live like normal men and women do. He was found in fashion as a man. He was the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, perfect in every way. No characteristic flaws at all. No one ever came along and said they tried, but they could find no fault in him. That's Pilate was going to say that in the end. As God had declared it from the very beginning, being found in fashion as a man, chapter 2 and verse 8 of Philippians, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Being found fashion, that he would by the grace of God should taste death. Have you ever got anything in your mouth that didn't taste good? I've been asked to taste some food and you know, some of it's really good, and some of it just does not taste good. Well, we know how this taste was to the Lord Jesus Christ because the words he spoke from the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But in the end, he referred to him as Father. The grace of God moved him, to provide him as a ransom to make him, to preordain him to be the lamb slain. He tasted death for everyone given to him by the Father. He tasted death 
for every one of his children. The God-man, Emmanuel, born to Mary, spoken to by the Lord Jesus to his stepfather Joseph. This man, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word become flesh. This God-man says, I have made the payment in full. I have ransomed my people completely. He started off as promised, lived his life as promised, went to the cross as promised, died as promised, paid the price as promised, and is now as promised sitting at the right hand of the Father. You can't help but mix the birth and the death and the resurrection because that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is all our hope and all our salvation. And we have no other. There is one that is able to mediate between a sinner and a holy God. And he did it at the cross. Thank God for him coming like he did. Jesus said there's going to be time coming when they're going to say, here's Christ and there's Christ. You know what the problem is? They're all sinners. This Christ is the Holy Son of God. Brother Mike.